You know how many federal agents you had following you on that ferry? I, I don't... Who are you working for? Talking about, I'm not working. Is this not about me? Am I a target here? Do they know me? Who is they? Do they know me? I don't know what you're talking about! You're either very smart or incredibly stupid. A lawyer's life is ruined after he is given footage that shows a congressman being murdered. Special guest Jason Torres joins us to discuss classic conspiracy theories, smoothies before dinner, and Chris Rock's comedy tough love. Then we find out if 1998's Enemy of the State stands the test of time. Time. James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Allen says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Test of Time. I'm James Brief, and joining me as always is Alan Noah, and we have some special guests, aside from anyone who might be sneaking in and listening. We have some special guests today. Isn't that right, Al? Well, it's not some special guest. It's just a special guest. No, I like that, because I think it's like, boy, we got some guests today. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, sure. There you go. I'm Alan Noah, and our some special guest is Jason Torres. Jason, welcome back. Hey, how's everybody doing? Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Doing well. It's really good to see you. Uh, you were here in 2018 to talk about The Last Dragon, and then 2019 to talk about True Romance, and it has been way too long. Way, way too long since we've had you on the show. But I'm, I'm glad that you're back. It's really good to see you. It's been too long. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Um, as you guys know, you know, I'm a listener. And um, every week I say, like, when the hell are you going to have me back? No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm stoked to be here. And, you know, we had the unfortunate uh, global shutdown. I'm sure that played a role in it. But it's really great to be back and, you know, making another dent in my journey towards the Five Timers Club. Okay, there you go. There you go. Well, after this, you'll only have two more. We will not wait another four years. We'll get you back on sooner. I was referring, by the way, before to the guests. Uh, We have Jason here. And of course, you know, if there's anyone wiretapping in, like what happens to our characters in Enemy of the State? Right, 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 right. (laughs) When I asked you if you wanted to come back on, Jason, you picked this movie. Why did you choose Enemy of the State? I wanted to do something different. I I could feel myself overthinking it. Like, I was like, I wanted to mean something. The Last Dragon's like one of my favorite childhood movies. I had a lot of stories to tell about that. Believe it or not, I was like, I want to pick a movie that I've never seen before. Because I like when you guys, uh, well, usually one of you has never seen something. It's never both of you. But I kind of like that because uh, it changes the, the review. And I think you get a better idea of it, of whether or not it stands the test of time because you're watching it for the first time and you can kind of see the holes in it so for some reason it, i never got around to it and i'm like what a great excuse to finally watch this movie because i remember how i felt when i saw the trailer will smith was just becoming a big big star i don't know how i missed it or how i never got to see it but i was like oh, i want to do something different yeah that's great and that is something different 
a lot of times people want to review, oh, this is one of my favorite films. Let's discuss this. And, you know, fantastic. If you know about this film, you know, you could talk about it. It's always great uh, to chat about it. But this is really cool that, you know, you've never seen the film. It's, uh, you know, it's not the kind of film that's in the zeitgeist, like you've heard about, you know, the spoilers about the film before. Um, I had seen it once before. I saw it in uh, the theaters, I remember. Had you seen this film, Al? No, I, I hadn't. And when you were saying, Jason, about how it was weird that it missed you, I kind of felt the same way because in middle school, high school, the early to mid 90s, I guess, there were three people that would get me to go see a movie just because they were in it. You know, there was Jim Carrey. We talked about the cable guy last week. Mm -hmm. There was Adam Sandler and there was Will Smith. Mm -hmm. If any of those three were in a movie, I was going, didn't matter what it was about or who else was in it or what it was based on. I didn't care. And this movie came out in 98. So I was in college. It came out in uh, November of 98. So I'm guessing I was still at school. And I guess it just kind of missed me because of that. And I didn't get around to it, but I had never seen it. And I think, James, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first Will Smith movie we've reviewed on the podcast post the slap. Is that right? <laughs> um, I, I believe so. Yes. Okay. What's even more shocking is this film is actually Will Smith's first like Will Smith headlining film. Even though he'd already been a major superstar by then, Independence Day was not marketed as a Will Smith film. Men in Black, he's actually second build to Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, similarly, okay. in Bad Boys, he's uh, second build to Martin Lawrence. This film was the first time he was ever. Uh, it was Will Smith and Gene Hackman was second. Yeah, I feel like this was like a coming out for him. Like this was supposed to be a major look for him even though it's not really an action-packed movie there was an action-packed trailer there were scenes of him and gene hackman going at it so it was like whoa he's going toe-to-toe with like a legendary actor he's climbing on the side of a building this is like will smith's big coming out party as like a solo star yeah, I mean, the, the guy who I know that has gone toe-to-toe with Gene Hackman is Superman. So, you know, like if you're right. if you're going toe-to-toe with that guy, that's a big deal. Right. So for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, it's about ever-increasing government surveillance. A congressman opposes new counterterrorism legislation that will encroach on citizens' privacy, so a senior NSA agent named Thomas Reynolds, played by John Voigt, kills the congressman. A videotape of the assassination ends up in the hands of an innocent lawyer named Robert Clayton Dean, that's Will Smith, and he doesn't even realize that he has this incriminating footage at first. Still, Reynolds destroys Dean's life and credibility, so that if Dean does go public with the tape, no one will believe him. He even frames Dean for the murder of his ex-girlfriend, Rachel Banks, played by Lisa Bonet. To clear his name and get his life back, Dean enlists the help of an enigmatic ex-intelligence agent, Edward Brill Lyle, played by Gene Hackman. By working together, they not only prove that Dean is innocent, but that Reynolds was guilty. So we mentioned that this movie came out in November of 98. How did it do at the box office, James? Um, The movie did pretty well. And, you know, the fact that the two of you kind of never really saw it, it's because it never actually made it to number one. Uh, The film had an, I've seen different, like 80 to 90 million dollar budget, which seems about right for these Jerry Bruckheimer or Tony Scott kind of action thrillers here. 
Um, it, it was released on November 20th, 1998, and it opened at number two with $20 million on its way to $111 million domestically. So, you know, this Will Smith guy has made a $100 million film, and in 1998, that's a big deal. And it wound up uh, grossing uh, $250 million worldwide. It, it opened at number two, and the number one film, there's a character in it named Chucky. And this film wound up grossing $100 million domestically. Is it Child's Play 2? No, it is not. And don't even guess one of the Child's Play ones. Uh, it's a very important film uh, to people a little bit younger than us. I'd say, you know, the solid millennials. Oh, I, I got it. I got it. It's um, um, Rugrats. Yeah, the Rugrats movie. So the Rugrats <laughs> movie beat this. And this movie was directed by Tony Scott, who also directed True Romance. Mm. Is that just a coincidence? It had nothing to do with your selection, Jason? No, but I thought it would be fun to to use this movie to ask, like, uh, what are some of you guys' like favorite conspiracy theories? Because like this movie is like catnip for conspiracy wackos. You know what I mean? Like, if you like a good government conspiracy, this is probably like the movie that tipped you over the the edge. I was thinking, I was like, it's a it's a, it's an interesting movie because of the times, but when you see the way the government accesses some of their private information. I was like, there's games on my phone that have more information about me than, than this. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. the, the way that um, our privacy is completely different. Like Will Smith's wife, the way she goes off about it, it's like no one even reads the, the uh, what is it called? The um, terms and conditions. Or yeah. Whatever. No one, even, no one even reads the terms and conditions anymore, but she's like, do you want the government being able to vote? Like she's like going off about it. And I'm like, people are so lax now comparatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about the privacy and then we can circle back on the conspiracy yeah, yeah, theories. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that privacy is still a thing that we talk about in 2023, but in a very, very different way. Because uh-huh. like to your point, the information that we give out and that everyone has access to is just stuff we don't even think about anymore. Obviously, we're all talking into microphones, but also there's a Amazon device Mm -hmm. right next to me that I don't want to say her name, but she listens all the time. And I have a cell phone that tracks my every movement. And I think when people talk about privacy now, it's more health related, you know, like a Mm -hmm. a woman's decision about her health care should be a private decision, at least in my opinion. And, you know, it's, it's not even just which side of the spectrum you're on, because over on the right, Remember not that long ago when if you wanted to go to a certain place, they would need to check if you were vaccinated and people Mm -hmm. were like, HIPAA, 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 that's a privacy violation. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. people care about privacy, but not necessarily surveillance. I I think this movie Mm -hmm. is more about surveillance specifically, and, and all of these things fall under privacy. Privacy is a big umbrella, but yeah, like, oh no, the government knows where you are and can find out who you're talking to and what you're saying. Like, yeah, eh. That, that's just kind of an eh at this point, you know? I agree. Uh, I mean, there's two things to really give this movie a, a real test of time flavor. First, the tech that was around in 1998, because this was definitely, definitely far-fetched. Mm-hmm. I mean, not like science fiction far-fetched, but uh, maybe one scene is kind of sci-fi. But um, for the most part, this was like, nobody could do this. And mm-hmm. eh, like even like the CIA maybe can do this, <laughs> like, you know, versus the tech we see now. And, and the second thing is that this movie takes place 
place in 1998, which is, by definition, before 2001. Mm -hmm. More specifically, before October 26, 2001, which is when the U.S. Patriot Act was signed into law by then-President George Bush. And that is the world we live in today. This movie is, you know kind of prophetic in that Mm -hmm. this lawyer played by uh, everyman uh, Will Smith, he's like, what? They can listen to all this stuff. You know, we'd seen this stuff in in the line of fire. Like, Mm -hmm. when someone's trying to assassinate the president, yeah, then they'll tap your line. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's like Al said, uh, I mean, the devices in our home, we we kind of accept that, yeah, uh, uh, you know, look at that guy. He's such an idiot. He murdered someone in a street. Like, Mm -hmm. of course there's a camera on you. Not like in the 90s where, wow, the Rodney King beating was like, this man happened to have a camcorder and pointed exactly the right time. Today would almost be weird. Like you saw someone getting beaten up and nobody videoed this. It it would be weird. Right. Yeah. It's a complete opposite. It's definitely a a trip. Just watching like a pre 9-11 world even. It's like, wow, like this is really surreal almost, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, Robert, he he has absolutely no idea he shouldn't use a credit card and he uses a, a phone call. And he even says, he goes, I used a pay phone. Because mm-hmm. in 1998, if you were a regular person like us, you only know about surveillance from like movies and stuff. When you watched a movie, every mob guy would be like, make sure to use a pay phone, then they mm-hmm. can't trace you. And that was the smart thing to do. But today you'd be like, Duh, even a cell phone. And, you know, in 50 years, they'll look at our movies and be like, those guys thought the encryption would do anything. Right, right. Before I pressed play on this movie, I knew that it was from 1998. And then as I was starting to watch it, when they were talking about counterterrorism and how much privacy are we willing to give up in order to be secure, I was like, wait, wait, did I get this wrong? Did this come out after 9-11? And... Yeah, it really, truly is prophetic in, in mm-hmm. a lot of the the things that it is talking about. Uh, Jason, a while ago, you asked us what our favorite conspiracy theory is. And I, I don't want to, to lose that thread because I think that was a really good question. I don't know that I have a favorite conspiracy theory mm-hmm. now, but when I was a kid, I was definitely 1000% convinced that there were aliens that crash landed in Roswell, New Mexico, and the government had them all alive in Area 51. (laughs) So I I don't really believe that now. Although now that there's like all of this talk about UFOs and what does the government really know? Maybe. I don't know. James, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? Um, well, I, I kind of like conspiracy theories that are more likely to possibly be true. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, versus like the earth is flat. <laughs> That's not a conspiracy theory. That's just stupidity. Well, even like the moon landing is fake. I mean, this again falls into stupidity. But um, did Disney call their movie Frozen so that when people Googled Walt Disney and Frozen, they would now get a movie instead <laughs> of things about their founder? I, they, like little things like that. That's kind of cute. Like, that's the end of it. That's the end of the conspiracy. Jason, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? I I think it's the the alien one is a classic. That's a a good one. Because I I feel the same way. Like, I prefer, like, a harmless conspiracy where it's like, you know, there's so many awful things happening where it's like, I don't want to think about that. But you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, this reminded me that after this movie came out, I remember hearing people say, that it was prophetic even back then where they were like, see, it's just like that movie. You know what I mean? Like that's what's going to happen now when the Patriot Act was, uh, you know, getting kicked off. 
Right, right. But getting back to 9-11, this movie does sort of feel inauthentic when you look at it from that lens, even though I said it was prophetic before, because with all of our surveillance capabilities that we had in 2001, we were blindsided. We, we did not have enough intelligence to prevent that tragedy, that attack from happening. And in this movie, Enemy of the State, Will Smith's character makes a phone call and the government is there in seconds or minutes. And mm-hmm. it's like, they're moving fast. And, you know, in reality, there are shortcomings to what the the government can do to prevent this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, looking at the tech that that's available now, I have a global, uh, what's it called, global pass when global you have TSA, but for global entry, yeah. And I don't go through the zigzag of passport control. I just kind of look at a camera, and it's all facial recognition. And if you go to London, and this has been known for like at least a decade, but there there almost isn't a, a square inch of London that you're not seeing. Like there's a mm-hmm. camera everywhere in that city. But, you know, there still are crimes in that city. So, you know, cameras haven't necessarily done nothing. But, you know, I I don't know the statistics of, uh, you know, have they done anything? I I think there's a difference between how secure you are versus how secure you feel, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, there's going to be a little bit of a disconnect there. Hopefully just a little bit, I guess. But the facial recognition technology that you're talking about, James, today, yeah, I use it too. And it's great. It saves so much time. I don't think it was as it is depicted in this movie in 1998. And like the one part of the movie that like really kind of bugged me from like a tech perspective is when they're looking at the footage of Will Smith in the lingerie store. Yes, I know what you're going to say. I had the same thought. And that's the one part I said is bordering on science fiction. They somehow tap into the the surveillance video from this like Victoria's Secret place, which by the way, that entire scene was so bizarre. Yes. Like it was plopped right in the movie where there's like weird, like nudity and it just, it made no sense. Like out of nowhere, like a lot of sexual energy came, came out of nowhere, which was, it was just bizarre. But anyway, yeah, they hack into the camera, they pan into the bag, but they're, and they're able to spin around his body. Yeah. And it's like, well, wait, what, what are they saying is happening? Like what camera is doing that? Right. You and I have worked in television, Jason, and like (laughs) we know how some people act in that world, which is just fix it in post. And you're like, yeah, you can do a lot in post, but you can't move the camera after it's been shot. Like that is just not possible. And that scene really kind of got under my skin more from just like a video production standpoint than even like a test of time thing. Like you couldn't do that today, but also like I've been into Victoria's secret stores and I have never seen those salespeople wearing lingerie and they model the lingerie for you. That's just really fucking weird. That's just not how lingerie stores work. It was bizarre. You know, that is the part of the movie that I remembered uh, 25 years later, and it still annoyed me. And it's just incredibly lazy writing because we'll believe anything. There's someone's glasses. Oh, Mm. we can just enhance that guy behind him. (laughs) Or the little girl has a, you know, a, a toy that's reflecting anything. Give us anything except for the computer can hypothesize what's behind it. Uh, I guess it could hypothesize a gun or anything. Yeah, that's about the last time I feel like 
in the world where you could kind of play fast and loose with technology like that because I don't feel like everyone even had a cell phone in 98 but like no definitely a not. little bit later when technology was more readily available you couldn't really play around like that I think this is kind of the last few years that tech could be magic you know like in weird science where it's just like uh, a computer it doesn't matter it's a computer and you hook it up to a magazine and there's a missile there, right. there was so much mystery about that type of technology that it's like, oh yeah, you can just enhance and it's crystal clear, which also makes no sense. And you can spin the camera around and you could do that because you didn't, no one knew any better. Right, right, right. Speaking of cameras spinning around, I did find some of the shots in this movie where the camera just does like that spin around move around the satellite dish or those hyper fast cuts or like the crazy like zoom in at some weird angle i found some of that pretty distracting i think going back to the tv production background thing i think it's because of mtv cribs i think that kind of ruined like those (laughs) kinds of shots in general for me the pace of the editing in this movie is really really fast and Mm -hmm. i thought it was noticeable did it catch your eye too jason as a as someone else with a production background uh, yeah, and I, I kind of appreciated it, though, because the subject matter was really dense. Like, as soon as they start the movie, there's a lot of, like, political jargon, right? The, the, yeah. It starts on my, all right, let me pay attention. Wait, what's the matter? This guy's a, a what? What is he now? <laughs> and then they're talking about an election and some sort of bribery. And then, you know, so I was like, all right, there's going to be a lot of information. Then they cut to Will Smith, and he has a lot of information. And it's about something completely different. So yes. when you have a, a ton of dialogue, that's also very mysterious. They're not setting a lot of things up and they're speaking to each other and letting things unfold. That was one of the notes I wrote, like the, the amount of time that not only the audience, but Will Smith is kind of like in the dark, like separately. The amount of time that Will Smith is in the dark is kind of wild. But the, the amount of yes. time that like the audience is in the dark is kind of interesting, too. You know, you're kind of like watching along and playing catch up and you can you can hang in there because things are moving fast you know i did see that the uh average shot length in this film is about two and a half seconds the median shot length is 2.2 seconds which means that half of the shots in this film are under 2.2 seconds and it is filmed a lot like a like a early 2000s late 90s uh, music video in some ways yeah definitely that's wild did anyone recognize Jason Lee's character, what he stuffs his quote-unquote disc into? Did any of you guys recognize it? Was it like called a Nomad? nomad? It was no, a Sega no, Genesis very, portable? very, close. You're very close. The J- Sega Genesis portable was called the Nomad. Mm-hmm. This was called a Turbo Express. Right. Which right. was the portable version of the TurboGrafx-16 revolutionary, like when this came out, like 1992 or three, mm-hmm. because the exact same game you played at, at home could be played handheld. Uh, you know, today that's a Switch, but that was revolutionary back then. And, you know, a... a 20,000 batteries per minute. But uh, yeah, I remember that. And uh, Turbo Graphics was totally dead by 98. So no one would really recognize that, what, what the hell that was. So that incriminating footage that's on the video game, that's captured by Jason Lee's character. He's an environmentalist or whatever. And he puts that in Will Smith's bag. To your point, Jason, like he doesn't know that he has that footage for a really long time. But the guys who work at the NSA... At least some of them, question mark, I'm not really sure, 
But the the cover story that John Voight's character is telling people is that this is all a training op. And then Jason Lee gets hit by a bus. And I can believe that there could be a realistic training situation where someone tragically, accidentally would die. That's believable to me. But then the second that happens, the op would be shut down instantly, right? And then that's the end because, oh my God, this government employee who is really our friend, he was pretending to be a bad guy, but he's one of ours. He's dead. The the op is done. And no one questions it. No one stops to say, hey, maybe this thing should be over. And I was really genuinely confused about who in this government circle knows that it's a training op. It's revealed at the end, spoiler alert, that Jack Black's character thought it was a training op and he was surprised, but he knew that this guy died. They even killed the uh, the Lisa Bonet character. So again, like, there's death. Like, real people are really dying. How are these people not aware that this is not, in fact, a training op? That this is real? I think they were lying. I think they knew the whole time. Uh, Jack Black and uh, who's the other guy? What was the other guy's name? Uh, Seth Green's in it. Uh, Jake Busey. He's also one of the goons. Um, I don't know if both of them survive it, but I completely agree. Jack Black is totally faking it when he says Mm -hmm. it's a training op. At first, I wasn't sure if he he was telling the truth. But if if you remember, he starts recording when things start to go south. You can see. And I even I said, why is he recording all of a sudden? And it seemed like he was planning his exit strategy or he was protecting himself because he's like, all right, this is getting hairy. This is going to be my alibi. Gotcha. Okay, so that that's his out. And to answer your other question, Alan, um, you know, how come this wasn't shut down and, you know, there's a death on the streets of, uh, what was it, Washington or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, whatever Baltimore it was. Or something. Whenever a movie says it's the NSA, I'm like, all right, it's swept under the rug. There's even a scene that I completely forgot about. I think it's kind of cool where some kind of government oversight committee is like, what the hell are you guys even doing? And (laughs) I like that there's a scene where they're acknowledging, yes, they might cut off the funding here if they don't like what they're hearing. But yeah, this acknowledges these guys have had funding and nobody knows. They can see satellites, sure. They can tap into your phone, sure. They can have a a SWAT team instantly, sure. It's the NSA. Um, So I'm okay with that. Gotcha. Um, Going to the, you know, the supporting cast in this movie, I thought it was a little bit jarring to see Seth Green and Jamie Kennedy in the same scene, like sitting right next to each other. I mean, like that really could be a meme of which one is which, you know, it could be a a Dylan McDermott, Dermot Mulroney, whatever kind of a thing. Even Jake Busey and Scott Kahn, same thing. Like these Mm -hmm. dudes look the same kind of in general. They're kind of made to both look like a guile from street fighter two in this movie, (laughs) you know, with like the, the spiky hair it just kind of made me laugh that these guys were in scenes together when it's very easy to confuse them. Yeah, I like that the all the tech nerds were, you know, like comic relief characters or like comic comedy actors. You know what I mean? I, I was kind of like stunned when I saw Lisa Bonet's name because for some reason I forgot she was in it. And like, you know, everybody my age had a huge crush on her back in the day. And then when she popped on the screen, I almost had to rewind it because I, I missed some of what was going on because she was explaining something complicated but i was like sitting there reminiscing about you know having a, a 12 year old crush on denise huxtable after <laughs> after rewind that i missed some of that like honestly 
Right, right. No, she she is distractingly beautiful. Yeah. She is. And, you know, other people that became, uh, you know, big stars, Regina King, she mm-hmm. plays uh, Will Smith's uh, wife in this film. This cast is huge. Yeah. I mean, Gene Hackman could basically be like, yeah, I know like all the biggest people in Hollywood because I did that film in 1998. <laughs> Not from anything else in his, in his career right, right. earlier <laughs> than, than that. But um, there's a part where uh, a character keeps talking about uh, uh, you shyster lawyers and shyster. Shyster, 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 and mm-hmm. you know, you know, as a Jew, like I know exactly what someone means by shyster. Right as I was getting almost uncomfortable with the amount of times he was saying it, I love that Will Smith's like, you know, that particular slander is <laughs> usually reserved for Jewish lawyers. I thought that was very funny, uh, very, very Will Smith. Uh, that was like a very Will Smith delivery there. Yeah, it's fun to watch Will Smith uh, become the Will Smith that he became in this movie. For as chaotic as things are, his performance is like, it's subdued, you know? Like, it's not really over the top. He's not trying to be the catchphrase guy or, like, the hero. He does a really good job of being like, I don't know what's going on here, and I'm just trying to survive and and get through it. There's a few flashes, you know, like when he has the shotgun later that you see him turn it into, like, the action hero guy. But I think he did, like, a really solid job. It's a shame what happened with him and Chris Rock, isn't it? Yeah, you know, honestly, like, I loved Will Smith so much in the 90s. Like like I was saying, like, I never, ever missed an episode of Fresh Prince. Mm-hmm. I, I liked his music, and it was never cool to like Will Smith's <laughs> music. You know, like, if you were listening to, like, Biggie and Tupac and Wu-Tang, right. like, that was cooler. It wasn't cool to like Will Smith's music, but at the same time, his music was really, really good. It was fun, yeah. Exactly, exactly. You can't even downplay how big Will Smith was. I mean, Big Willie Style, that was his album that came out in 98. That album is a diamond album. There Mm -hmm. aren't that many people that have diamond albums, and Will Smith's one of them. That album with uh, Getting Jiggy With It, Miami, those were enormous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was unstoppable. No one was wearing like a Will Smith rapper T-shirt the way you might wear. You know, someone might wear, you know, right. in the nineties like Kurt Cobain or, or right. you know, Biggie Tupac. Uh, but it, it wasn't uncool. It was just it was pop. It was pop rap, and yes. uh, you know, you wouldn't exactly blast it, but it was. <laughs> it's hard to downplay how big this guy was. But getting back to what you mentioned about the slap. I did kind of lose some respect for him that night. Like, watching that, I was like, oh, man, what the hell are you doing? And speaking of how I feel about these people in real life, I get it. Some people are conservative. Some people are Republican. Some people voted for Trump. But these fucking videos that John Voight puts out online, I don't know if you've seen them, where he talks about how Donald Trump is the second coming of Abraham Lincoln. It's really fucking disturbing. It, it is. Whenever I see him, like even on a, a rerun of Seinfeld, it's like, oh, hey, this guy. Like he is yeah. he's, like so weird now. Like so but, weird. Um, I wanted to tell you, it reminded me of my, my Chris Rock story. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but like, no. so years ago, actually right after we did uh, Fuse News, okay. I worked on a show called The United States of Hip Hop that was hosted by this comedian named Sherrod Small. And it was sort yeah. of like a mix between a late night show 
and kind of like the view because he had like two co-hosts and it was kind of a panel vibe once a guest got out there, you know, there's a bunch of people. And so for our first episode, we had Chris Rock because Chris Rock is cousins with Sherrod Small. So it's like a huge get. We would have never been able to like book someone like that. So he's waiting in the green room to come out and Sherrod is out doing the monologue. And it was me and Chris DeLuca, who, you know, were the, yeah. the writers, the writers of that show. And Sherrod's doing a decent job. Chris and I are happy with the jokes that we wrote. But Chris Rock is like pacing and he's like visibly annoyed. I asked him, is everything okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. I just wish the show had some jokes. Whoa. Right? I feel terrible. I say, uh, there's plenty of jokes in there. And he goes, who, who wrote this? I said, me and uh, Chris, who's over there. And he goes, when does the show air? I go, it airs on Friday. He's like, and you tape it every Thursday. I say, yeah, we're going to be taping Thursday. He says, you don't have any idea how easy it is to get on an open mic on a Wednesday? I was like, and actually, I don't. He was like, you can get on any mic in the city on a Wednesday. No one goes up on a Wednesday. These jokes should be tested in front of an audience. You need to take these jokes, all the jokes that he's saying, take them to an open mic, perform them, and then make sure they work. And then you could tape the show. Damn. That's that's what I would do. And I'm rich. And he like stormed off. Ah, wow. <laughs> what an asshole. Okay, so you didn't feel so bad when he got slapped. No. I felt like Will Smith Will Smith slapped him for me. <laughs> that's awesome and it wasn't all that bad like i gave him the script he goes like let me see the script and he's looking through it and i go see look i said that's a funny joke and he, he looked and he goes mm. he goes that's an attempt at a joke i'm like okay Whoa. i'm like well, what about this one and he goes that's fine you know so one, at least one of them was fine but it was cool because he said you know you should take this material and test it out in front of an audience and you know make sure that it actually works which is true like if you're trying to write some comedy it's hard to just write it and get a laugh in the room and then try to shoot it. You really should do that. So I actually learned from that as dickish as that was at the time, especially though that's what I would do. And I'm rich. And, and then you walk like <laughs> mic drop walked away from me. And Damn. Um, very shortly after that, I started doing a, a live comedy show on the Upper West Side. Peter Hoare was there. Chris DeLuca came through there. Well, Chris DeLuca and I used to, we hosted it together, but Peter Hoare performed there and who you also know. Yeah, and a bunch a bunch of our friends would come. It was a cool thing. We did it for like a year. My comedy writing career took off even more because I was able to network with comics who did this way more often. And it was a whole different thing. So I kind of looked at it as tough love in hindsight, even though it was not love. But you know what I mean? It was, <laughs> it was a harsh criticism. It was a little bit mean, but it was a the kick in the pants that I needed to kind of take my career to another level. You know what I mean? Wow. Well, it sounded like excellent advice delivered in an unnecessarily, you know, possibly <laughs> an unnecessarily rude way. However, perhaps the way he delivered it is the reason you remember it all these years later. Uh, um, yeah. Al, have you ever had any of your comedy uh, uh, appraised by Chris Rock? <laughs> um, no, I, I haven't. When we were at Fuse, I wrote a bit for Weird Al to do. And I was very nervous that he wouldn't do it and he would hate it. And he actually did it and said, oh, yeah, I'll do this. This is funny. I, I wasn't at that shoot because my daughter was born. Um, so I, I wasn't there in person. But I heard that story and I was like, I'm 
Cloud Nine. I was so thrilled that he he liked my bit. That's really great because because you love Weird Al, so that's oh, amazing. Yeah. They got me like an autograph. He signed like a pink onesie that's still hanging in my daughter's room to this day. She's nine years old. Uh, but knowing that he liked my bit and that he did my bit and he delivered it really well, that was a huge, huge compliment for me. That's awesome. Would have been better if my daughter was born two days later. <laughs> but whatever, it's fine. That's wild. And so um, I was shocked to find that this is one of those Christmas movies, like like Die Hard, like one of those movies yes. where it's like, hey, did you know that Die Hard is really a Christmas movie? I ne- I've never heard this movie brought up in that way. You know, because it's like Trading Places, uh, Die Hard. There's a few movies that are like secretly Christmas movies. And the film was released in November. So it was like kind of a holiday film. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. He I, I don't think this is going to be like the meme of is Enemy of the State really a Christmas movie? Because, <laughs> you know, it's just not uh, as popular as Die Hard. But yes, I was picking up on that, too. I was like, oh, should we have saved this for Christmas time? I but thought whatever. that, too. Yeah. It's fine. Also, the uh, John Voight, when they looked him up and they got all his personal information, his birthday was September 11th. I don't know if you noticed that. Yes, I did. I made a note of that. Yeah, he's like, his birthday is 9-11-40. I was like, whoa, (laughs) that's kind of weird. They could have picked any date. Oh, But Jason, let me ask you, as our very special guest, do you think that Enemy of the State stands the test of time? I think it did because it was enjoyable to watch. There are a few plot holes, especially when it comes to some of the tech. But I feel like... It did a really good job of keeping enough from the audience to make it engaging. If you would have told me that you're about to show me a movie that has a that every you know shot is two seconds long, I'd be expecting to have a headache. But I, I didn't. The performances are really good. The comic relief guys are really good. Gene Hackman's great, by the way. Like he shows up really late, but yeah. kind of like steals every scene he's in, and it kind of turns into like I didn't expect it to turn into like a buddy movie, a buddy action flick, like two-thirds of the way through so that was kind of a cool surprise and um like we we chatted about earlier like the the idea of this subject matter you know like the the government and what they can see and what they can do and and what they're willing to to do to its citizens it's it's still a topic that is discussed today so that stuff didn't really go away but um as a straight-up movie that i've never seen before i could say honestly i enjoyed it and i thought it was Really solid, but I will probably never watch it again. Okay. Uh, James, what do you think? Do you think the movie stands the test of time? Some things that do stand up, um, just straight up. I, I love how kind of central casting for a Republican congressman is exactly the same today. Although it was interesting that the Republican congressman is like, I would never vote against something that would uh, infringe on... Uh, the First Amendment, uh, that's all different today. Something that annoy me, uh, you know, the beeping on satellites. I <laughs> hate that. It's like like MTV News used to have like a comical, like MTV satellite that yeah. works on an MTV commercial. But uh, like just to me, it's very annoying that it's like beep, 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 beep. Um, what does stand the test of time is, is just everything in the, in the surveillance. I mean, except for, you know, again, the, the, the 180 rotate, but things like drones from, uh, 
Ukraine war currently. I mean, you're seeing like men on the ground. Uh, so this stuff like jumping roof to roof yeah, from a satellite, I believe it. There's a part where they're comparing the financial uh, purchases of one person to another and the cash deposits to another. I mean, people are throwing that out on Zoom. Uh, not on Zoom. Sorry. I mean, uh, Venmo. Mm-hmm. The credit card being declined instantly. That was like, what? How could it be so quick today? You'd be mm-hmm. like, duh, it's going to be instantly. You know, the things about like only the NSA could put a camera inside a, a smoke alarm. And I mean, every month you read a story about some Airbnb where some creep was putting like, <laughs> you know, they, they were caught putting hidden cameras in like the uh, shower. You know, electrical outlets or, or in the in yeah. smoke alarm or in the shower. It happens all the time. Um, Jamie Kennedy and a bunch of them, they're kind of making bets to show the audience how good the surveillance is. They're like, you think that guy has a Mont Blanc pen or a Parker pen? And then they like, they say, enhance. And, you know, it enhances. And they, ha it is a Parker pen. I knew it. It's like today it's like, OK, that's 100 percent believable. Uh, the phone call tracing, facial recognition. I, I did think it was funny. Uh, the New York Times said, enemy of the state, the walls have ears and eyes. And it kind of was like, all right, this is a, you know ever-increasing surveillance. The Washington Post review, they said uh, enemy of the state was a state of disbelief. And we're supposed to believe that every security camera in every 7-Eleven and liquor store in America is connected to a master computer network. Um, yeah, I kind of believe, I mean, the master mm-hmm. computer network is the internet. Um, another line is we're enemy of the state really stretches credulity and patience. Uh, did I say that word right, Al? I probably didn't. No. Uh, yeah, I didn't say it right. But where it really stretches you is in its arrogant assumption that Americans are willing to accept all manners of big brother and the end of privacy, including these slick but specious movies that prey on our fear and mistrust. No, I mean, we, we might talk about it on a podcast in 2023, but uh, we've accepted it. I, I mean, it's a kind of otherwise by-the-numbers thriller that is really elevated by Will Smith and just the A-plus performance by Gene Hackman. He's so good as a paranoid guy. And I do agree with you, Jason. I had seen it once 25 years ago. I liked it. It does stand the test of time, but I don't think I need to see it again. It's unfortunately the world we live in for the most part. So by the fact that it's a fun thriller that winds up uh, being prophetic, it does stand the test of time. What do you think, Al? Well, the first thing I have to say is it's funny that you were talking about the sounds of the satellite beeping and how that annoyed you. The sound that really annoyed me was the sound that kind of accompanied the text on screen where it was like this electric typewriter kind of sound. That <laughs> that was the sound effect that really annoyed me. Honestly, all of the satellite stuff I was kind of rolling my eyes at. Um, yes, I think that this movie stands the test of time. I think even though we as a collective society are less focused on surveillance and that aspect of privacy today, and we're more focused on health and other things, it's still a concern. It's still a thing that, you know, just because we've kind of taken it for granted, it doesn't mean that Big Brother isn't always watching. Big Brother is always watching. And so I think that what this movie is saying about that constant surveillance state is still applicable. And, you know, a movie can certainly be a a warning about something that the writer, director, whoever deems as a threat or something worth talking about, even if 
the general population isn't really fixated on it at that time. Um, one thing that really struck me with this movie is the way that John Voight's character goes after Dean, the Will Smith character. It is preemptive. All of it is preemptive. They don't know that Dean has this footage. Dean doesn't know that he has the footage. Like you were saying, Jason, like Dean is in the dark for a long time. We, the audience, are, are in the dark. So is John Voight. He doesn't know if he has it or not. Doesn't matter. He's going to destroy his life and ruin his credibility as a safeguard mm-hmm. just in case. Like that is really fucking terrifying and it 1,000% stands the test of time. The second that they announce that Alvin Bragg is looking into Trump, they're going after that guy. They mm-hmm. are going to rip that guy to shreds. When somebody is not necessarily a threat now, but they could be a threat down the road, oh yeah, I mean, they're going to go after him, especially people in government especially Republicans. I know my bias is showing, but you know, if Hillary Clinton hadn't said very, very loudly and repeatedly that she wanted to run for president in 2016, there wouldn't have been all that Benghazi and email shit. They did that because they knew it would help them later. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really sickening and unfortunate that it does stand the test of time. And I think this movie does say a lot about surveillance and government and government overreach and privacy and security. But I think really and truly at its core, it is a story about a relationship. It it is a love story, really, between one man and his blender. And I think that really does stand the test of time because I got to be honest with you. I love my fucking ninja blender. I mean, I make myself a smoothie every goddamn morning. And if someone broke into my house and fucked around with my clothes and spray painted my dogs, I'd be pissed. But if someone stole my fucking blender, I would go full Liam Neeson in Taken to get that thing back. I kind of like that at the end of the movie, Will Smith is like, that's my blender. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take that blender. <laughs> but then he doesn't. Like after the big, you know, shootout at the at the mafia boss's club, it's more about, you know, him being carried out on a stretcher and Gene Hackman sort of disappearing into the ether. And I get all of that, but I did kind of want that reunion of, of him with his blender. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I, I found that to be very relatable on a personal level. Uh, but yes, this movie absolutely stands the test of time. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would, just kind of going into it. But yeah, great pick, Jason. Really, really great choice for a, for a movie. Thanks. Can I say two things that I forgot to say? Yeah, yeah, please. One, um, I did love that they spray painted his dog. That was pretty outrageous. But yeah. you reminded me, I was so distracted when he walked into the house and he said hello to his wife, who appeared to be making dinner, and then he made a smoothie. Do you guys have a smoothie before dinner? Isn't that a breakfast thing? Um, It is mostly a breakfast thing. I have gotten in a weird habit of having a smoothie as an afternoon snack sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Afternoon snack. Not while, like, food is being prepared. Oh, yeah. That's so filling. Yes. I thought that was weird. The other thing that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life, Jason Lee, when they're trying to get into his place, he has a second door in his apartment that is facing the other door. Like, they're banging on his door and... He goes around and he he looks to see who's there. You know what I'm saying? He's facing that door. He's, he can see the back of the person. How is that apartment structured? How how is that? How does that happen? 
I don't know, but I was very confused watching that. And I was like, wait, where is she? Where is he? How does this work? Maybe that's like a Washington, D.C. or Baltimore thing. I don't no, know. I'm in Baltimore right now. I've never seen <laughs> that in my life. Okay. All right. I, I don't know. I thought that was weird, too. That's a good point. Yeah. But Jason, thank you so much for coming back on the show. This was awesome. You are an amazing person and a fantastic guest. I'm very much looking forward to having you back on the show. Soon. Thanks so much, man. This was a lot of fun, and um, I'm, I'm excited to uh, see you next time. We're now three films in on your way to the Five Timers Club. Very exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, 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 of course. So because you mentioned you do comedy shows, where should people follow you so that they can find out about your next performance, your next show? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, hit me up on Instagram at uh, JNTNY. There's a link in my bio to you know, a bunch of stuff. And I I have some live shows coming up very soon. Okay. I want to come to see one of your shows. I'm very mad at myself that I haven't gone yet. Next time, I I really want to go and and catch one of your shows, Jason. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. We'll have a good time. For sure. And thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yes, thank you again, Jason. That's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to be talking about Strange Brew. This is a movie that I have wanted to do on the podcast for a long time. I saw that it was its 40th anniversary, and I got really excited. James, have you ever seen this movie? I have never heard of this film, and that also leads to the fact that I've never seen the film. (laughs) Okay, well then I will say something to you that you have said to me before. Don't look it up. Don't do any research. Just go in cold, press play, see what you think. I will tell you nothing about it except that one of the main stars is a test of time favorite. That's all I'll say. But I'm looking forward to hearing your reactions about that movie, James, very, very much. All right. In the meantime, we want to hear from you guys here at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Twitter? Do I call it X now? I don't really know what to say. I just got used to saying threads, and now I have to say Twitter or X. Whichever one. We're at Test of Time Pod on all of the places. Uh, And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.